Thank you. In honor of our friends from uh, Tennessee and the Ozark area, the following story is told. <laughs> of two old geezers that were living in the backwoods by the names of Clarence and Rufus. They lived on opposite sides of the river and they hated each other. And every morning just after sunup, Rufus and Clarence would go down to the respective sides of the riverbank, look across the river and yell the following to each other. Rufus, Clarence would yell. He goes, you better thank your lucky stars. I can't swim or I'd swim this river and whoop on you. Clarence, Rufus would holler back, you better thank your lucky stars. I can't swim or I'd swim this river and whoop on you. And every morning, every day, for 20 years, this occurred. Then one day, the Army Corps of Engineers came along and built a bridge across the river. <laughs> but the insults continued to go on every morning, every day, again, for another five years. Finally, Rufus's wife had had enough. She said, Rufus, I can't take it no more. Every day for 25 years, you've been threatened to whoop Clarence. Well, there's the bridge. Have at it. Rufus thought for a moment, chewed on his bottom lip for another moment and said, Woman, you're right. I'm going to go whoop on Clarence. He walked out, walked out the door down to the river, along the riverbank, came to the bridge, stepped onto the bridge, began to walk across and halfway over the bridge, he saw something. He went screaming back to the house, slammed the door, bolted the windows, grabbed his shotgun, dove under the bed. Rufus cried out his missus. He said, I thought you were going to whoop Clarence. He said, I was, woman, I was. She said, then what in tarnation happened? He said, well, he said, I walked halfway across the bridge and I saw a sign that said, Clarence, 13 feet, 6 inches. <laughs> he ain't never looked that big from the other side of the river. What's the point? You wonder? Rufus apparently underestimated the size of his enemy. And though a joke, I could not help but relate this story to the foolishness of those who continually underestimate the size and the power of our God. Now, we live in a world which continually seeks peace. All one has to do is pick up a newspaper or watch TV to see the never-ending conflict in our world. You know, the ongoing violence in the Middle East, the drive-by shootings in our own backyard, the turmoil in our homes and the unrest even in our own hearts cause men, to, to, men and women to long for peace. You know, and as bad as these struggles are among men, the greatest and most fullest struggle is man's opposition to God. You know, the Bible clearly teaches that all men are born into the world at enmity with God. We come out of the womb screaming and kicking against the authority of God. And we're not at peace with God, each other, or even our own selves. And one cannot help but ask the question, is there any hope? Is there any hope? You know, I've got great news, or more accurately, good news and if you turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, a passage that most of us only read at Christmas time. And what a wonderful time of year it is here and now to read this account that we find in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. In this passage, we'll examine two truths that relate to God's peace plan for man. And we start with verse 1. Now it came about in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Cornelius was governor of Syria. And all were proceeding to register for the census, everyone to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. And it came about that while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for him in the inn. And in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. 
And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of a great joy, which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. And it came about when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they came in haste and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things that were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that day, for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. What a great passage. What a wonderful story. What a wonderful true account of God's peace plan as he unveils it to mankind. And there's two things, as you'll see in your outlines, that we're going to take a look at. The first is we'll see that the promises of God in this passage were fulfilled. And it's in verses 1 through 12. And the second is that the praise of God was being proclaimed for what he had done. The promises of God were being fulfilled. And before we take a look at that, the circumstances and the circumstances that brought Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem, we need to understand and look back at world history to recognize what has taken place and what God has done to set the stage for this great moment in human history. We need to have a better understanding. As you'll recall, Luke's gospel is historical, and it's written especially for the Greek and for the thinking man. Neander, one of the great saints of the past, made this statement. He says, The three great historical nations had to contribute each in its own peculiar way to prepare the soil for the planting of Christianity. The Jews on the side of the religious element, the Greeks on the side of science and art, the Romans as masters of the world on the side of the political element. Since the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke were directed to a particular segment of humanity, with Matthew written to the Jew and Mark to the Roman, and Luke was written to the Greek. Dr. Gregory, another historical scholar, went on to say the Greeks are clearly the Greeks are clearly distinguished from the other great historic races by certain marked characteristics. Says they were the representatives of reason and humanity in the ancient world. They looked upon themselves as having the mission of perfecting men. You know, they were the cosmopolitans of that age. They made their gods in the likeness of men, and when that wasn't enough, they made gods into their own likeness and therefore joined, you know, in this human culture that was utterly worldly and ungodly. Paul was the right person. If you read through the book of Acts, you'll see that Paul was the right person to go to Athens. And I'll never forget the time that Linda and I had an opportunity to make a trip there. And to look around and to see what was going on and to stand on Mars Hill and look at, you know, all of the uh, monuments that were set aside for, quote, the gods that they had created, even a tourist attraction to this day. And standing on Mars Hill and looking up to see all that had been done and yet recognizing the words of Paul He was the right person at the right time chosen by God with God's message to address the inscription that's found to the unknown God. It is him who I've come to declare to you. It's a wonderful thing. Because as we create our own gods, there's still a void in the human heart for the one true God, the only creator. And he reveals himself to us. And what a wonderful truth that is. And so he was the right person. And Paul also had as his companion Luke. And Luke was there, and he saw what had taken place. The mission of the Greeks was evidently a part of the preparation for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ into the world. It forced the thinking man of that age to feel and confess the insufficiency of human reason. They recognized that all of human reason could not deliver mankind and perfect mankind from the flaws that are evident as we look around the world. You know, it left them waiting and longing for one who could accomplish this work. They recognized no matter how many gods they created that there was still something missing and flawed in the universe. 
and there must be one God that they were missing. And that's the God who declares himself through the word of God and through all of creation. So the Greek language became a vehicle for getting the word of God out. The gospel was communicated to the world in the Greek language because God used Alexander the Great to make it possible. Of him, Hassan said, he took, speaking of Alexander, he took up the meshes of the net of civilization which were lying in disorder on the edges of the Asiatic shores. And he spread them over all countries which he traversed in his wonderful campaigns. The east and the west were suddenly brought together. Separated tribes were united under a common government. New cities were built as the centers of political life. And new lines of communication were opened as the channels of commercial activity. The new culture penetrated the mountain ranges of Pisidia and Lyconia. And the Tigris and the Euphrates rivers became Greek rivers. The language of Athens was heard among the Jewish colonies of Babylonia, and a Grecian Babylon was built by the conqueror in Egypt and called by his name, and that city was Alexandria, which still bears his name to this day. See, God had set the stage for the greatest drama in human history, for we're told according to the word of God, for it was in this fullness of time that God sent forth his son, born of a woman. And that's the passage that's before us today. I'd like you to keep that all in mind as we look at the promises of God which were being fulfilled. Specifically, as we take a look at Luke chapter 2, notice again in verses 1 through 4, the circumstances that were used by God to bring Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem. The circumstances that brought Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem are identified in this passage. It says, Now it came about in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. So it came about in the fullness of time, and these were, the, these were the events that were taking place that God would use to usher in that moment that he had promised before the foundation of the world. The passage immediately introduces and identifies for us a key player in God's drama. His name is Caesar Augustus. The question that we have to ask is, who was Caesar Augustus and why is he significant? He was the adopted son of Julius Caesar. Actually, his name was Octavian, and he took the name Caesar. The name Augustus is actually a title and not a name. When the Senate submitted to him certain titles, such as king or emperor or dictator, he wasn't satisfied with any of those. Instead, he chose the title Augustus. That title had a religious significance, and it was an attempt to deify himself. In fact, Caesar Augustus was the first Caesar to be called Augustus when the Roman Senate finally voted to give him that title. The word Augustus means holy or revered, and up to that time, that title was reserved exclusively for the gods. It was under Augustus' rule that decisive strides were made and taken, uh, making the Caesars gods. In fact, at the same time that Luke was writing these words, some of the Greek cities had already adopted Caesar's birthday, September 23rd, as the first day of the year, hailing him as a savior. In fact, you'll find inscriptions that are found and have been dug up, archaeological discoveries, that had called him savior of the whole world. At this time, in such a fullness of time, As Augustus had bludgeoned every enemy into submission, there was peace in the world, but it was what we would call dark peace. It was a peace that was brought out by being beaten into submission, not by willfully, voluntarily submitting to the authority. It was a peace that was brought about that you didn't question because if you did, you had to look over your shoulder because if you had done so, you would have been executed for questioning such a peace plan. So you can't miss the irony of all this because in the fullness of time, God chose this moment in human history to send his son, born of a woman. Caesar Augustus was ruling, but as always, God was in charge. See, this self-proclaimed savior of the world will be used by God to fulfill his word, and it was his edict, that census, that would bring Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem for the birth of the Prince of Peace. The one who came so that you and I could have peace with God. In verses 2 through 4, we read this was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all who were proceeding to register for the census, every one to his own city. 
And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged with him and was with child. As I was reading this and pondering this, these verses tell us that all were in submission to this man's edict. This edict to go to register for a census was taken every 14 years for the purpose of raising revenue for the political dynasty and also for the military. And I was reading this and I was studying this and I, and I went out for a run and, and I began to ponder and meditate upon the things that I was studying and preparing. And as I was running and spending that time with God and, and, and he has a way of getting my attention then as he does in no other place. And I long for those moments. It's kind of, you know, my special time. And I would challenge and hope that each one of you find that special time and place where you go to meet with your creator, the God of the universe, so he can give you insight as to what his purpose and plans are, not only in general, but more specifically for you. You know, John 21, talking to Peter, you follow me. You know, God's plan, while as general for mankind, is also very specific for each individual. What is he saying to you and what does he want you to do? And as I was running, I was thinking about this whole concept and idea that every person was in submission and they did what they were told to do and they went to register for the census. And, and, the, and the thought came to me, this, this, this wonderful thought as it relates to scripture and that is submission to authority that doesn't ask us to rebel against God or his truth will put us into a position to be used greatly by God. Let me repeat that. Submission to authority that does not ask us to rebel against God or His truth will put us into a position to be used greatly by God. You know, as I was running and thinking about that and the whole idea of submission, stop and think, wouldn't it have been easy for Joseph and Mary to be tempted to rebel against Caesar Augustus? After all, of all the world leaders, he was the first guy ever to want to be deified. He took the title, Revere Me, Worship Me. I can just imagine the conversation of many saying, you know, who's this guy thinking he is calling himself God? There's only one God. He's not God. Wanting to act and treat him like he's God. He's nothing but a man. He's a mere mortal. There's been many men in human history that thought they were God and our, their graves are with us to this day. Who's this guy think he is? Calling himself the Savior of the world? I can imagine Mary thinking, but I'm carrying the Savior of the world in my womb. I'm nine months pregnant, and he's asking me to walk 80 miles to go register for a census? For a kingdom that won't last? When I'm carrying the King of kings and Lord of lords, and of his kingdom, there will never be an end. I'm not going. But they went. They went. You know, as I thought about this, better yet, I guess the word would be as I pondered this and meditated upon this, God reminded me of King David in his youth. And he was out in the field taking care of his father's sheep while his brothers were in the action, man. I mean, they were out at the battlefield. And his dad said, you go watch my sheep. You know, we got a war going on or we're up against the Philistines. And I got to send your brothers to battle. And you just go take care of the sheep. And he went and did what he was told to do because his father was his authority in his life. And he was submissive to his father's will. And he went and did it. And then his dad sent for him and said, hey, listen, I want to send you to the battle line. I can imagine how excited David got. Man, finally, you finally stopped treating me like a little kid. This is great, man. Going out to battle and he showed up. His dad had sent for him. He gets there and his dad says, hey, listen, I want you to take this food and these supplies out to your brothers who are on the battlefield. And then when you do that, just find out what's going on and come back and tell me. What? <laughs> like, but he did it. He did it. He did what he was told to do when he was told to do it. And he was put in a position to be used greatly by God. To defeat Goliath. And as they say, the rest is all history. Isn't that wonderful? The whole idea of submission. You know, this life application part that we put down here on the notes. I want to challenge you to consider something. But, you know... 
submit to those God has placed over you in your life. Not blindly, not blind obedience. The Bible never calls for that. We're to, we're to examine everything by Scripture, the Word of God. We're to make sure the things we're asked to do don't violate the, the biblical principles and the laws of God, the standard of God. The disciples, when they rebelled against men, only did it when they were asked to do that, which was a violation of what God had specifically directed them to do, but yet they were willing to suffer the consequence, whatever that was. Fine, get thrown in prison, throw me in prison. Get stoned and beat, stone and beat me. But you know what? At the end of the day, we must obey God rather than man. But you know what? 98% of the things in life that we're asked to do have nothing to do with violating the standards of God. It just has to go with that rebellious heart of ours that says, I don't want to be told what to do, and who do you think you are telling me what to do, and I'm not going to do it. From children at home to employees at work to citizens in a government to members of a church, it doesn't really matter. You know, when we're asked to do something, it always comes back to, well, why? Why should I listen to you? You know, who died and made you God? Well, you've got to remember, you know, that it was God who established all authority. Read Romans chapter 13. And that leaders should do so, not beating them over their head, but should lead by godly example. And when a mother and father lead by godly example, why wouldn't a child want to follow that type of leadership? When an employer leads by that kind of example, it makes it easy for an employee to follow. When we have godly people in government, it makes us easy to submit. When we have godly people in church leadership, it's easy to submit. It's only when they become difficult that we have a hard time. I'm just telling you, no one was more difficult than Caesar Augustus. And yet what he asked them to do did not violate the principles of God. And so when we look at these things, the question comes up, you know, if you cannot submit, either because there's a violation of known biblical uh, principles and you confront and nothing is done about that, or even if there's just philosophical difference that you can't align yourself under, then the Bible freely gives you the opportunity to, put, to remove yourself from under that umbrella and to move under the umbrella of another in authority. But at the end of the day, we're going to have to learn to be willing to submit to the authority of God and man. And so what a beautiful example that we see of Joseph and Mary's obedience as it reflects godly submission. The Bible is clear that God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And there's nothing more humiliating or humbling or humbling, as they say in certain parts of the country. Nothing more humbling than doing what you're told to do when you're told to do it. But you know what? It's a living sacrifice, pleasing to God, acceptable to God, which is our spiritual service of worship. It's a wonderful thing. Never forget that the sin of rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And it was the downfall of King Saul. For he rebelled against the authority of God. So Joseph and Mary's obedience reflect this godly submission. You know, when Mary said, be it unto me according to your word, it meant that from then on her life would be a part of the fulfillment of divine prophecy. God had promised that the Savior would be a human, not an angel, a Jew, not a Gentile. He would be from the tribe of Judah, not any of the others, and and be from the tribe of Judah, not any of the other tribes. He would be of the family of David. He would be born of a virgin. He would be born in Bethlehem, the city of David. And all of this occurred just as Scripture said. And Caesar unknowingly played an important role. I like what A.T. Pearson used to say. He said, history is his story. I like that. President James Garfield called history the unrolled scroll of prophecy. If God's word controls our lives, then the events of history only help us fulfill the will of God. Jeremiah 1.12, God says, I'm watching over my word to perform it, just as I said. The free will of Caesar Augustus was never violated. Think of the circumstances that brought Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem. The free will of Caesar Augustus was never violated as the sovereignty of God once again and has always prevailed. Joseph and Mary went to Bethlehem, the house of bread, where the bread of life would enter the world as a baby. Personally, I believe, based on what we know already about Mary, from what we've seen in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55, that Mary knew Scripture. And when she saw there was an edict to go to Bethlehem, she probably did cartwheels as many as she could do, being nine months pregnant. 
And her and Joseph, knowing the word of God, said, this is unbelievable, but believable. I used to tell people, man, isn't God unbelievable? And finally, one guy, one of my Bible studies came and said, well, Chuck, isn't the, aren't you trying to convince people to believe God? I said, but you know what I mean? Man, he's, I mean, it's just, it's just so awesome. Think about what God does. It's like, you know, here's this edict that comes out. They're reading scripture. They're blown away. Why? Because they're going, we got to go to Bethlehem anyway. Now we got the reason to go. This is great. Like, is God in control or what, dude? That's for the younger people. I don't know. <laughs> Trying to hold your interest there. This is awesome. I don't know, man. I don't know if you're interested, but I am. And the second thing is this. Notice the condition of Mary. The condition of Mary in verse 5, going back to chapter 2. We're told that, you know what, she, in order to register along with Mary who was engaged to him and was with, with child, and again, God reminds us of the miraculous conception which had occurred, that there was a sign, and the sign would be that the virgin would give birth to a son. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. God's peace plan was being revealed to man. In Matthew chapter 1, if you turn back and look at that, we're reminded once again in Matthew's account of the birth of Jesus Christ. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as followed in verse 18, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together. Just a reminder, once again, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her, desired to put her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place, that which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, and there's our verse, Isaiah seven fourteen. Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph arose from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took her as his wife and kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. That immaculate, miraculous conception of Mary. She remained a virgin until after the birth of Jesus Christ. And then she and Joseph had, you know, I was going to say a normal marital relationship and family as much as it could be under the circumstances of having the Son of God living in your home. But Jesus had half-brothers and half-sisters, and it was evidenced throughout Scripture that their home and their family had a semblance of normalcy to a degree, and yet at the same time we see that the character of this child, going back to Luke chapter 2, would be different than any human born into the world. She gave birth to her firstborn son. It's important to recognize and understand the character of Jesus Christ. He was the firstborn, and according to Jewish custom, he was the son that had all the rights of inheritance. There was no child born into the world that day that seemed to have a lower prospect than the Lord Jesus Christ. If you'll notice where he was born, he was born in a place where there was no room for him. He was born in a manger. Uh, many historians believe that it was a place where animals were kept, where they ate. It was a cave outside in the back. Even the hotels or inns at that time weren't anything to speak of. And yet at the same time, this is even lower than that that he was probably laid in a trough, a horse or, or, or a, a sheep or, or, or a camel or whatever the animals were. It was in a trough that they used to feed and to give water. There's probably no greater humility that could be found at that particular day and that particular time than to come into the world under those circumstances. And the reason I bring it up is that we must never forget that is where Christianity began and where it always begins. It always begins with a sense of need, a graced sense of one's own insufficiency. Christ himself set the example. He comes to needy, the needy people of the world. He is born only in those who are poor in spirit. We don't come to God in, with a peace plan of our own and tell God how we'll have peace with him. He said there's only one way to have peace with God. And that's through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. His peace plan is not negotiable. 
so sad when we look and we see in the world around us how, you know, you try to bring peace plans and people come to the table and say, no, this is the terms of the peace plan. If you agree to it, we'll agree to it. But if you're going to try to negotiate, there's nothing to talk about. And sometimes in life, that's the truth. There's just nothing to do. You know, we can't negotiate this because they're principles of God that are non-negotiable. We cannot compromise. There are other times we go, you know what, now, now, now we're just getting to be prideful people. And we need to come to a resolution as we examine and agree upon the facts. The second term that's used is that he would be a savior. Look in verse 10. He says, And the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy, which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a savior. The word savior means redeemer. A kinsman redeemer, one who is able to buy back and to restore and to re- reconcile two parties that are at enmity with one another. He is God's Savior. He has come to redeem us, to buy us back from, from the, the, the darkness and the prison of being you know, in the devil's family and being chained and bound by sin and the consequences of it in darkness. He has come to buy us out of sin and to give us eternal life. He is said to be the Christ which means Messiah or hope. Is there any hope that you and me and all mankind could find peace with God? And the answer is absolutely, because we find it right here. This one, as the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 2, if you remember as we went down through this and talked about the fact that, you know, when Peter preached his first sermon, that the punchline, as you, as you would, the end result, He says in Acts 2.36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. That he has made him Lord and Christ. You are the Christ, the the Son of the living God. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God, as Martha said. You know, I know that my brother will rise on the last day. And Jesus said that, you know, who do you say that I am? And she said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. It's the same thing that Peter said. Who do people say that I am? You're a prophet, you're a teacher, you're a good guy, you're all these things. The world we live in says the same thing. And he says, but Peter, who do you say that I am? He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And he said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. You are the Christ, the Savior, the one who was promised to come, and when he comes, he will know all things, the woman at the well said. And he knew that I'd been married five times. He knew everything about my life, the Christ, the Savior, the Son of God, the one who was promised to come into the world, God's peace plan. The promises of God were being fulfilled. The circumstances surrounding Joseph and Mary, the edict, the census to go to Bethlehem, their submission and their willingness to obey all was in alignment with the will and the word of God. The condition of Mary, she was a virgin, very clearly indicated throughout all of Scripture, who gave birth to a son. The character of that child was he was the firstborn, the Savior, the Christ, the Lord. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. You have peace with God. For it's the heart man believes resulting in righteousness, but with his mouth he confesses resulting in salvation. Have you confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord? Have you believed in your heart that God did raise him from the dead? The Bible says if you have, you have peace with God. Through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 5, 1 through 11. See, God is always sharper than us. God is always many, many, many steps ahead of mankind. No matter how we try to manipulate things and do things and think that we're getting away with something. You know what? Man, God is so far ahead of us. When our children were young, you know, and they used to think they were pretty sharp. You know, they always catch them doing stupid things, you know, when they would do those things. You know, it was like, how do you know these things? Been there, done it. Not bragging about it, but it's prepared me well for what we're going through right now. And I wouldn't encourage you to do the same thing. But one day when you have children, you know what? They won't, they'll think that you're not too bright either. And you'll be able to have this same conversation that we're having today. Isn't that a wonderful thing? You know, and they'll be like, oh, man. It's like, hey, and don't ever forget, there are a whole bunch of eyes and ears out there. Why not checking Linda, son? 
Oh, isn't that checking Linda's daughter? Oh, it was like, I didn't know you let your son walk home from school. Really? We didn't know that either. <laughs> so, how was the bus ride today? Oh, fine. Really? Is this first-hand account or are you, you know, reporting, you know, live, you know, from the site? I mean, were you on the bus? Did you ride the bus? And then it's by then it's like, oh, you know what? Those questions aren't asked unless, you know, uh, 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 uh. And they always be like this. Well, it depends. What do you know? See, you know what it is? It's like, look, God, you know, and that's the way we are with God. It's kind of like we'll only finally come to submit and recognize authority if we think we're finally busted. It's like, man, think about it. From the fall of man. Hey, where are you guys? We're hiding. Well, why are you hiding? We're naked. Who told you that? Well, that's a good question. You know, why are you hiding? Well, you know what? Because that's what sin does, doesn't it? We try to hide. Sometimes it's funny. Central Connecticut State University, four seniors majoring in communications. They were doing so well on all their quizzes, midterms, and labs. They had an A going into the finals. They decided that because they were so confident in the finals, they drove to the University of Virginia and partied with some friends that were there. They had a great time. But after all the partying, they slept all day Sunday. They didn't make it back to school until early Monday morning, and they were so exhausted. Rather than take the final exam, they decided to find their professor after the final and explain to him why they missed it. They explained. Well, to, this is how they explained it. They explained they had gone to UVA for the weekend with a plan to come back in time to study. Unfortunately, they had a flat tire on the way back, didn't have a spare, couldn't get help in time to get back for the final as a result. That's why they missed the final. They're really sorry. Professor thought it over, then agreed they could make up the final the following day. Gave them a day to study. The guys were elated, relieved. They studied that night, reported the next day at the time they were supposed to. He placed them in separate rooms, four separate rooms, handed each a test booklet, and told them to begin. They looked at the first problem, worth five points. It was simple, straightforward, question about communications. Cool, man, that was easy. Each of them in his own room thought, this is great, this is easy, man, this is, this is fun. Each finished the lengthy, straightforward problem in about five minutes, turned the page, and on page two was written these words. For 95 points, which tire went flat? <laughs> Ow! 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 Love that. Love that. And all I can say is this if that professor was that sharp, how much more so is our God? Huh? How much more so is our God? Now, all the young people are sitting there going, next time we come up with a story like that, let's agree on what tire went flat, just in case. The passage reminds us that the promises of God will be fulfilled and no one or nothing can stop him. And as, as, and, and as his plan was to provide not only, you know, the way that you and I could find peace as we look at this, you know what, they couldn't help but what? Praise God. They can help but praise God. Notice that in verse 13, you know, when you look at that, notice the praise of God, and rightly so, was being proclaimed for doing all that he had said that he would do. How awesome is our God. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. The multitude of angels broke out in praise. Why? Because they were in awe of what God was doing. They were, you know, the choir, the one choir where there's no rebellion. The one choir where not everybody has an opinion of what should be sung and when and what key. The one choir where God is in ultimate control, singing the praises of God. How wonderful that is. It's so difficult with creative people to get on the same page. And yet this choir just sang the angelic hosts. How awesome was that? Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Notice what Luke writes and records. I bring to you, in verse 10, good news. The word good news is the words that, that Luke uses often in his gospel and also in the, in the Acts account. The good news is telling people that God has a peace plan to bring man to God. 
that God has a peace plan in place that will work if only we will what? Submit to His authority. If only we will agree that He is the ultimate authority and whatever His plan is for you and I to have peace with Him, we have got to agree 100% to His plan and we bring nothing to the table. But our humility and our brokenness for sin and our longing to be forgiven and to find mercy at the foot of the cross. We come to him on his terms and he says, I got great news for you. I got great news for you. The multitude of angels sung praises. The Roman peace had been in effect since 27 BC, but the absence of war does not guarantee the presence of peace. It is just one event or one incident away from blowing up. The Greek philosopher said, while the emperor may give peace from war on land and sea, he is unable to give peace from passion, grief, and envy. He cannot give peace of heart for which man yearns more than even for outward peace. The whole world could be at peace, but if you're not at peace with God, your life will be in turmoil. Because there's nothing to insulate you from those quiet, lonely, solitary moments. When you lay in bed at night and you wonder, if I die today, what would happen to me? I have no peace with God. The Jewish word shalom, peace, means much more than a truce in the the battles of life. It means being uh, well-being and health and prosperity and security and soundness and completeness. It has more to do with character than circumstances. Life was difficult at the time as it is for many today. Taxes were high. Unemployment was high. The military state was in control and Roman law and Greek philosophy and even Jewish religion couldn't meet the needs of men's hearts Then God in the fullness of time sent his son who could. And the angels of God sang the praises of God. They were there and praised God at creation and now they praised him at the beginning of this new creation. And you know what the Bible tells us? That all the, he- all the angels in heavens rejoice when one sinner comes to repentance. When one of us comes to the throne room of God and technically the cross of Jesus Christ and repents of our sin, recognizing we're sinners and repents and turns to God and, and turns from sin and trusts in Him and Him alone for the forgiveness of our sin, And we're born again, new creatures, old things pass away, all things become new. A a, a work of God from above. All the angels in heaven, the chorus of God, rejoice when that takes place. Have they rejoiced for you? Is there a day that they had rejoiced for you? The message they gave focused on God's peace. We saw that. And on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. It's important to know that God's peace plan will not be applicable to all people. It's an open invitation to all people. But there is a time in everyone's life, as I mentioned about Alexander. Alexander the Great would light a torch at the top of a hill. And he would say, while the torch is lit, all you are here can come to me and submit to my authority and I will grant you peace. But should you continue to reject and rebel... And think that you can fight me in my plan. Then when the torch is snuffed out, that window of opportunity is now closed. And you will reap what you sow. See, the Bible says that God so loved the world that whoever, whosoever will come to him, would have everlasting life and shall not perish. The window of opportunity is that it's, it's, it's decided by God that, you know, men should live and die once and then comes judgment. That dash that you see on every tombstone in a a cemetery is that time that God has given you and me to come to terms with God's peace plan. Have you come to terms? That's the message. He says, come unto me, all of you, who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come unto me and turn from sin and turn to God and trust in me and my peace plan that my son, the Prince of Peace, died on the cross for you and he was raised from the dead. And whoever receives him, I'll give you the right and privilege to be called children of God to those who believe in his name. Have you come to me? That's the message they gave. That we now have peace with God through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the last thing was, notice the praise of God was proclaimed by the messengers that God chose. Don't ever lose sight of this. 
God chose simple shepherds to proclaim the news of God's peace plan. They were despised in their culture. They weren't even allowed to testify in court. They were looked at as non-entities. They stunk. They were out in the field. They were with sheep. They were contaminated. They couldn't go to the temple. They were worthless in their society. And God chose to reveal the great news, the good news of the gospel to those that the world has despised. God has chosen the base things of this life to reveal the nobility of God. And I want you to notice in closing what we can learn from these shepherds. And it came about when the angels had gone away from them into heaven and the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made in me. You know, let's, let's, hey, don't pass go. Don't turn your back. Don't take your hands off the plow. Don't go bury the dead. Don't go take care of your family. It's the same thing that Jesus said. When God calls you and commissions you to do something, just do it. They went straight to Bethlehem. Because they were told to. And this will be the sign. You'll see a child. He'll be wrapped in cloths. Here's what you're looking for. Go look for him. They came to him and they worshipped him when they found him. The Bible says, notice this. And they came in haste. Nothing got in their way. They came in haste. It was the first Christmas rush with a purpose. We were all rushing around at Christmas with no purpose. This was the first Christmas rush that had a purpose. And the purpose was to get as quickly as they could to the Prince of Peace. Don't put it off. Don't procrastinate. I remember when I was confronted with the gospel and I said, you know what? Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, I know I need to be forgiven. Yeah, I know I'm not perfect. Yeah, well, you know what? I'll get around to making a decision sometime, some way, someplace, somewhere. Thank you for sharing. I'm not interested. How foolish of me to presume upon the grace of God as it would be foolish of anybody to presume how long that, that, that torch would stay lit. We need to have a sense of urgency in coming to the cross. God is offering His peace plan. He's saying, today is the day of the Lord. Whosoever will call upon Him will be saved. Don't wait till tonight. Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't wait till next week. Don't wait till you get your affairs in order because you can't. You need to come to Him now in haste and praise Him and thank Him because it is in It is on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. That's called grace. Grace. By grace we're saved through faith and not of ourselves. It is a gift from God so that we cannot boast. God is offering you peace with him on his terms of believing and trusting in his son, the prince of peace, for the forgiveness of your sins. Do not wait. Do not hesitate. Take him up on that offer. And then they made known to anyone who would listen what God had revealed to them. Oh, man. It is not enough to hear about Jesus. It is not enough to peek in the manger and say, oh, how nice, what a lovely scene. It makes me feel so good. The truth is, even if Christ were born in Bethlehem a thousand times, but not born within you, you would be eternally lost. The Christ who was born into the world must be born in your heart. Religious sentiment, no matter what time of year, without the living Christ is a yellow brick road to darkness. It is the broad and wide road that leads to destruction, that Jesus said. The Holy Spirit included this story in the Holy Scriptures so that we would not miss the point. The real Savior of the world was not Caesar Augustus, nor will it be any great leader. The Savior of the world is Jesus, the Son of God, who came to earth, availed in Mary's flesh. He was born in human flesh. He lived in the flesh. He died in the flesh, was resurrected in that flesh, and now lives in the same glorified flesh at the right hand of the Father. The incarnation was real. Christ's identification was complete. And his understanding and sympathy are real because he had the same type of physical body that we have. And he still does. Bearing the wounds that he had endured so that you and I could find peace with God.
in this world of sin where meek souls will receive him still the dear Christ enters in do you have peace with God through your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ then praise God and let everyone who will listen hear what you have to say about God's plan for peace if you are here and you have put off accepting the offer that God has made I would challenge you today do not wait for it's appointed for man to die once and then comes judgment and we don't know the day of that appointment we cannot presume upon the grace of God today is the day of the spirit if you hear his voice talking to you then trust in Jesus today for the forgiveness of your sins let's pray father I pray for those who are hearing these words and have yet to make a decision regarding Christ they have not taken you up on the peace plan that you've offered that they would do so now forgetting about anything and everything else in the world that would be a distraction that today they would recognize and come to the foot of the cross and pray a simple prayer God I am a sinner and I need forgiven I turn from sin I turn to you I come to the cross and I believe what you say that Jesus Christ is your plan for peace that I may find forgiveness in you I believe that he died on the cross for my sins I believe that he rose again from the dead according to the scriptures I trust him today as my Savior. And I believe you when you say that I'm a child of God, that I'm born again, that I'm a new creature. And I look forward to the life that you will give me, the eternal life, the peace that we have that is in totality. For those of us who have trusted in Christ at a point in our life, I thank you, God, and I pray that we would never take that for granted, that we'd never look at accounts like the one we read today and relegate it to a certain time of year, but that you are alive you are alive every day, and you live within those of us who have trusted in you. Your Holy Spirit resides within us. You tell us if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature, a new creation created by you. Old things pass away, and all things become new. And if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God, you raised him from the dead, you tell us that we shall be saved. For it's with our heart we believe resulting in righteousness and with our lips like the shepherds who went out and proclaimed what they had heard, what they had seen, and what you had done. May we be faithful in doing so. May we go directly to it. May we do so with, with, with in great haste and with no hesitancy and proclaim that you are the great God and not only that, the author of the greatest peace plan that man will ever know. And we just praise you and thank you in the name of the Prince of Peace himself. Amen.